You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. We've been blustering about a, a training day for far too long. And you messaged me on Thursday and said, hey, I'm going home tomorrow. Actually, no, you didn't even message me. We were on with Nick Riker after we finished recording. And you said, yes. I'm just going to brag to you. I'm going to Granite Peak tomorrow. That was about <laughs> 16 hours out from leaving. Yeah, I said, I'll see you there. <laughs> Yeah, you uh, you spur the moment. Uh, joined me at one of our favorite little training grounds. I think we've referred to Granite Peak a few times on this podcast. One of the bigger ski hills in the Midwest, I believe. Probably one of the top five longest runs, right? Somewhere here. I, I think it has the highest prominence in Wisconsin. Okay. Okay. So, it, yeah, I think it's the biggest hill that we can train on in Wisconsin. Yeah. And for me... The ski hill is conveniently on the way back home to Green Bay. I have to drive right by the ski hill, which is three hours from Minneapolis, about an hour and a half from Green Bay. But for you, it's a little different story. And this is where I feel like this weekend and uh, you coming up to meet me solidifies our love and our bond, Bracken. Well, this is what Lisa did for me when we were dating. She started student teaching and she drove up to Whitewater constantly. And I realized if you if you care for someone, you make the time and you get there. Mm-hmm. And there was no like selfish, self-serving principle to you coming to meet me. It was all out of just pure selfless love, quality time. Well, I don't know if there is such a thing as selfless love. I think love's inherently selfish and selfless. Let's get existential here. Yeah, continue. <laughs> the other thing is that <laughs> I had a three-hour hill workout planned for Sunday, trying to scramble to be ready for Ireland. And if Friday works out and I get a better hill and I get even better company, then you arrange the schedule and you make it happen. It was nice. The last time we had worked out together or seen each other in the flesh, I believe, was almost a year prior, wasn't it? In May, we got together for some running in this neck of the woods. Have I seen you since then in person? I don't think so. Was there a race? Jacksonville? Nope. No. That was beforehand. Well, the results didn't change, did they? It's been a while (laughs) since we did a workout, Uh and you picked right back up giving me the work. No, no, no. That's not true. That's not true. I just, I've spent a little more time on feet, so I endured better, but. <laughs> you, you gave it to me, Kirk, and that's no. okay. These are the efforts that are going to make me a better man. The, uh, the ski hill was still functioning in which Bracken and I had no idea. So half of the, the it was still, I mean, I would say there's, I, I can't imagine how many feet of snow were on that hill. Six plus feet of snow, probably deep because of all the man-made snow. It was just solid. So minimum three. Right, and so we quickly realized that we were uh, should have brought our skis, but uh, we hoofed it up the the ski slopes in full snow, and it was, you know, we're not. I used to document my workouts a lot more back in the day because I just really needed to put it on Instagram, and I do that less and less. And it was one of those runs where I wish I brought my phone with me because it was so epic, and so fun. And watching you scuttle down those ski hills with snow flying everywhere, slipping on our asses on the way up would have been good to document, and we got nothing. We had nothing. We didn't have a free hand. Mm-mm. I wouldn't have wanted to be holding a phone going down that thing. And going up was just as bad. What do you think? 40% grade on the top there? I would, on I would icy think so, snow, yeah. 40%? On yeah. icy snow without spikes on. Mm-hmm. We pull into the parking lot and Kirk starts calling me. Because we, we came from two different directions. He pulled in just ahead of me. And we both pull in to see the ski hill open and the lifts going. I'm just thinking... <laughs> I just drove three hours and I can't do <laughs> I can't do the hill I came to do. Now, luckily on the backside, there's a two and a half mile hill that is paved. It's a road that leads up there. So we knew we could just do endless five mile round trip hill reps, but it wasn't what we wanted. But luckily, there, it's a two part ski resort. 
if you hold your hands up, you basic in front of you making like a 10 count. It's basically how the resort is. And the left side, those are open and the right is designed kind of divided by a big boulder field or rock slide. Mm-hmm. And those runs weren't open. So we were able to get over on the far right side. Didn't get the longest hill. We were, but for us still, we were getting 550 feet of vert per, per hill rep, which is a lot for the, <laughs> the Midwest. Yeah, it's not bad for Midwesterners. Yeah, we uh, we both tested out the extreme two, mm-hmm. which I mean probably should have brought the ice heroes because uh, we didn't realize we'd be running on ice. But what did you uh, what did you think? First impressions of the extreme two? It is almost a night and day different shoe. If you had one on each foot, I don't think you would make the connection that they were the same shoe, just one iteration newer. It is much wider, much roomier, both vertically and laterally in the shoe. There's just more room. They're both as flexible, but the second one, the two just feels more flexible to me. Mm -hmm. It feels like there's more cushioning to it without any more weight. It's just a very different shoe. Yeah. Uh, there was a, a a solid break-in period with my first set of extremes, like the original extreme. I'd blister on my pinky toe. I would be crying. I'd really have to work into it, put 20, 30 miles into them before that shoe kind of molded to my foot um, and I could run in it confidently. And I will say in the extreme two, uh, there was no break-in period at all. I put that thing on. We started running. In fact, uh, the front toe box got so open on me that I should have stopped and retied which is just a rarity because the extreme fits so snugly. The original, the two is night and day difference. I, for the first two hours, I mean, was I was gushing about the shoe, right? I was mm-hmm. like, dang, I love this shoe. Then once we got past two hours, as we know, I'm a little fragile. And then the bottoms, my feet started going a little bit, but I think it would have happened in, mo- in a lot of shoes that are lighter. But first impression was uh, uh, a huge step up from the original extreme Yeah, on all fronts. We both got two hours of comfort, and then our forefoot started to ache. Yeah. Yesterday, I ran about an hour, nah, 48 minutes, and my forefoot was sore. Mm-hmm. But we were also at 40% grade, slipping on snow and ice, going uphill, and so it's a unique circumstance which could have caused that as well. Our feet were burning because our feet were having to grip so hard to not... Mm-hmm slide backwards on that icy like we were going up a mogul section which is always super steep and it was just really tough plus we did probably close to five miles of pavement running yep throughout the day and then we ran so it was like a three-part run there's pavement there was technical-ish fun trails and then there was the ski slope and we were probably split evenly distance wise between the three and i thought it held up well yeah the upper, though, is roomier, and it's stretched as it got wet and moved out. So I, I actually retied my shoes twice, but that's the kind of thing. I don't think it'll stretch every time we use it. No, no. Yeah, and it felt a little faster, too. felt like uh, there's a little more flex in the forefoot, so if I had to run flat and fasten it, which we didn't do, I feel like it would have been a little more conducive to that than the original. Um, so I think it might be a more balanced shoe, meaning like I really only like the extreme, the original. I like them a lot in the mountains. Um, mm-hmm. I like them less than other options on flat terrain. Uh, but this shoe, I feel like could maybe be a better shoe for both. Just like cover more bases. I don't know what your thought was on that, but yeah, it could probably be the one shoe you own to do 5k through no. half marathon trail and mountain distance. People who are used to lighter shoes could probably go the full marathon or ultra distance in that shoe. I, I couldn't currently. Ah, marathon I could. We just did three hours in it. But no. what, what I found was interesting is that towards the end, I was running. We were running on the road back up, and I we were at like two and a half hours. And you wanted to add on more of the trail, and I was shot, shot. My legs were trashed. Mm. And I said, go ahead, do that. I'm just going to go straight down the road and meet you at the bottom. I always got to make sure my metrics look better than yours on Strava. So I find a way to sneak that in there. Yeah, you do. And I was cracked. I was, I was fully on, I was, I was cracked, but then I started feeling like I'm making the weak decision. So I hopped up off the road into the, into the woods, which is just littered with rocks. It's a really technical, nasty section. And as soon as I got back into that, my feet stopped hurting again. And I was hitting jagged rocks. I was hitting 
downed trees, mossy areas. I was hitting all the type of technical terrain you could. And I had to keep reminding myself to keep my feet up because it was so tricky. But my feet were fine through there. So I think for me, on a technical terrain, I could take that in ultra, maybe. Hmm. But uh, I couldn't do it flat. So I still think I would lean spark or irock for a 10k or under fast course mm-hmm. but if we were starting to get really rocky or or sloppy then maybe i go up to that one mm-hmm. i was impressed i thought we should we should talk about that because we gave it the real test technical some flat some downhill some uphill ripping some being careful on some mm-hmm. working hard at times working easy at times it's just kind of you know we got a good a true test and three hours is a true test. So, And we did rip some of the hills quick enough to know that it's light enough on feet you can run fast. Oh, yeah. There, there were plenty of sections of the trail where we were running quick, and it I never felt insecure in that shoe, even with, with that extra room. And then uphill, we, it was so steep that on some shoes, it just hurts the back of your heel. The heel cup just isn't made to be torqued at such a steep angle. And I didn't get any of that. I don't know about you, but I didn't get nope. that in, the, in this extreme, too. Three hours, not a single blister or hot spot. So, I mean, None. that's a win for a shoe, even if it's a heavy. And they were soaked. Shoes. Yeah, we got wet. So you, so you wanted to talk today then. So after we got together for this, you know, training run, which was nice because I run with nobody really these days. I've run with Adam Buck a little bit recently. You run with nobody. You wanted to talk about like what you got out of today kind of, or what you got out of the weekend, what it means for future planning, all of that. So what did you get, what did you get out, of, out of the work we did this weekend? Well, I think the first thing is, what did we both say about the first two hours? The fastest two hours, they went by as quick as any two hours have in recent history, which was yeah. true. And then my last 50 minutes was one of the longest 50-minute stretches of recent mm-hmm. history. And so it reiterated to me that, A, training partners just make the work easier, yep. and they make the time fly by. However, it also makes it easy to overwork. I know early I had I gone out there by myself to do three hours strong, my first hour would have been easier. My last hour would have been better. True. And there were times where I was overworking. We went back on that technical, not super technical, but that single track trail and going back up it. I was running sections I should have hiked earlier, but we were talking, you were looking good and I just tried to hang with it. And I know I paid for that. And it's a good reminder that if you do train alone, when you get to the race day is when you get that feeling. It makes it easier to overwork a little early on in a race. Yep. And I haven't felt that for a while because I haven't been doing any big races in a while. So it's a good reminder that when I do have people around me, I can't trust my perceived exertion early on yep. because it's easier to run with people than without. I mean, you were talking full sentences, no problem. You seemed like you were very in control you said that you weren't going to look at your heart rate monitor did you end up coming through the data afterwards you said you wanted to stay aerobic or aerobic threshold uh did that happen i was up just over aerobic threshold relatively early on Hmm. so where i should have been sitting 48 to 51 i was sitting like 50 to 54 okay and it's a little bit of a difference but it's enough but i think my issue was muscular more than cardiovascular. Mm-hmm. I just ran out of power in my legs after a while. You had a big training week leading up. Very big. And the day before was big and taxing on everything we used. I did weighted lunges. I did sled push and pull and I did incline intervals mm-hmm. because again, I worked out in the morning and we didn't decide to do this until the evening. So I ran out of muscular power, but yeah, it felt good. We were able to chat the whole time. We're mm-hmm. chatty runners. Yeah. So what was your biggest takeaway then? Like your biggest takeaway was what? I know mine, for example. Uh, Two things. The first is perceived effort. I can't trust perceived effort early in a, a partner run or a race. And that's really important for me with a big, long, arduous race coming up. Mm-hmm. Most likely the pace is going to feel super manageable early on. And when we were together... If it was a, oh, I kind of feel good, rather than hold on to that or back off intentionally, I just let that roll a little bit. And that works fine for two hours, but it comes due eventually. And so like looking at a seven, eight hour race in Ireland, if I let it roll the first two hours, that leaves me six hours to fall apart. Don't trust how you feel early. Yeah. Yeah. 
But it, more than not just trust, I have to put in rules for myself, which are going to be, if I feel like this is going easy and I can roll with this, I have to intentionally pull back from that. Mm-hmm. Get to the two-hour point, maybe the three, and by then I'm going to know how my body's really feeling and what's the worst case scenario if I hold back too much. You finish strong. Now I can work hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I was watching the Boston Marathon this morning. And the people who went out after it and fell apart got gobbled up by the people who didn't. Like seriously gobbled up from what I saw. Yeah, Molly Seidel went from the lead group to she wasn't even top three Americans by the end. Yeah. And that's fine. But that was a two and a half hour race. Now you had five more hours to that. Where would where would I finish up? So you were a great sobering reminder that I have to make a plan to stay out of my own way for the first two hours mm-hmm. of that race. You should be you should be asleep for two hours. Yeah. Enjoying yeah. yourself. Like truly enjoying looking around, soaking it up, chatty, smiley, you know, like being so in control that it it's it's a it's a little unusual and then start slowly tightening the screws. I feel like there's only one way to do it in a race in which you have how many 13,000 feet of elevation gain? Over yeah. 34, 34 miles. miles. My goodness. Yeah. yeah. You better be asleep for as long as possible. There's that quote by uh, Caballo Blanco, I believe, is the one who did it. He was the <clears throat> that, that runner who lived down in South America. I believe it was in Mexico mm-hmm. and ran with the indigenous people down there and was just like this sole survivor out in the desert. And his quote was, in an ultra, or I think it was about trail running, but when given a choice between one step and two, take three. And that was in terms of not overextending on the trail, picking your way through, being efficient. Yep. And I've never really loved that, but I think in an ultra, that's a smart plan. That whole, for the first half of the race, when given a choice between work this descent and stay steady, maybe even back off another notch, yep. just so that I don't get in my own way. I like that. I, I like that actually a lot. You ever like when you're running up a mountain and, and it gets some some jaggedy stuff with bigger steps and you decide to take that extra little leap to get up that rock and then your quad is just full all of yeah. a sudden versus taking the little route that might cost you a second but saves you some reason, some lactic buildup? Like, yeah. I, I agree with that for sure. I feel like, you know, do that thousands of times throughout a race and you're in a different situation by the time rent comes due, you know? Mm-hmm. I did that in High Rocks with a lunge. I was a lunge and a quarter away from the turnaround point and I overextended the lunge and I almost didn't make it up out of the hole. Did it grab your glutes so hard back there? It stressed that insertion point of my hamstring so hard that it took me from I'm under control to I'm out of control. I've tipped in one lunge and it was a good reminder. But I think about it as much on the downhill as the up because I enjoy downhills and they feel like free speed Mm-hmm. On a downhill, a lot of times early in a race, when you're not feeling any impact, you'll see the opportunity to take two steps through something. I could cut it down to one. It's faster, but each one of those extra little leaps I make early on is going to compound and come back to bite me in hour five and six and seven. So that was my big long-winded takeaway from this weekend. Takeaway number one. Yeah. Good. What about you? That I'm doing things right. That you're doing. <laughs> it looked my, right. My, my takeaway is um, is that so as many of my athletes will know that I coach, I run under a little bit different philosophy with the strength work in combination with run workouts, and that is, I like to go into sat- <clears throat> Saturdays fatigued, meaning if the legs are even a little bit sore or fatigued from strength work on the back half of the week. I like to work through that on like a weekend long run or a quality long run. And sometimes it can set you up to feel pretty crummy on your long run. And then you can be a little defeated and all that. But the point of it, in my opinion, is that when you pull that stimulus on race week, by the time race Saturday comes around, you haven't been smacked as hard as normal and those legs will pop. And, and it, and I've been experimenting with it a good bit and, and it's working, meaning like, yeah, most of my Saturdays are compromised because my legs are beat up intentionally. However, pulling the stimulus on race day, my legs pop. And, and what they did is they popped in Zumbro for a race a few weeks ago. And I actually did what you kind of did in that I went out too hard and I bled on the back half. I found that out in a two-hour race. However, 
this week, then when we met for a run, um, I had done heavy squats, Bulgarian split squats, lunges the day before you had done some of the similar stuff. And honestly, my legs were toast, man, but my engine was good. And, and I was able to get through it because I have such a good base of, of aerobic fitness that even though the legs went, it was like, okay, by the time two, three hours came, it was still like the blood was pumping to the right places and the, the oxygen was being absorbed and I could sustain even on tired legs, which is durability. I'm not the highest mileage guy, but tell me about going and running three hours on legs that are already beat up from strength the day before. That's going to that's gonna extend the life of your durability over duration. And once we got to the back half of our run, and this is my long-winded answer, I was like, I could have went for another hour, I think. And mm-hmm. I mean, I would have been diminishing returns, of course, and I was starting to power hike more and all that. But I think that formula of like heavy strength work, run something long on tired legs, like there's some magic to it. And I often get some athletes that complain about that a little bit, like my legs are beat up on Saturdays and I say, good. And I just feel good about, I feel good about that, like coming through is the point being is it's created durability, Mm -hmm. even though I haven't been going terribly long on runs. I think there's some magic to that. Um, and so between racing Zumbro the week before, pulling the leg stimulus that week and then performing well, and then still being able to grind it out with you on legs that were pretty sore and tired, I was like, hey, this, you know, the puzzle pieces are in the right place. So I actually got confirmation that I think my system is working for me, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because I don't know why I didn't think of that, but I got home and I made adjustments to my schedule. I switched a high rocks or a lifting workout to the day before my quality sessions for me for the next month now. Quality or long run sessions? Both. Oh. Because I just felt so severely that hour two of that felt like hour three. Yep. Like we arrived that already 10 miles into the run because of the stress we put on our legs the day before, but it wasn't impact stress. Walking lunges don't cause stress fractures. You know, sled push and sled pull don't cause overuse injuries like in your foot or in your shins or in your knees. They just tire you out muscularly. Mm-hmm. So I was able to come in and you were as well. We kind of had the same build in. We did. That was already my third quality session that week. But two of them were non-impact because of lifting and, and high rock style work. I just got more out of it. It was miserable that last hour, but mm-hmm. the race is going to be miserable. But now, like you said, if I remove that extra stimulus in the last 10 days leading in, now I get to actually feel good. And that's going to feel so much better as a result. So I actually took a bit more of a Kirk approach. I like it. So tomorrow I'm doing hill reps, hard hill reps up, recover, hard hill rep down, recover. And when we get off this call, I'm heading downstairs in the basement and I'm hitting the iron a little bit here. Okay. So you'll fatigue the legs and then and then go into some some work. I like it. Yeah, I'm not going to do single leg stuff today nope. because running hard downhill, I don't want to do after doing heavy Bulgarian split squat or even walking lunges, but I'll front squat today. I'll do some a little bit of deadlift and then I'll do a lot of upper body work. Super smart. I like that doing paralleled stance stuff. Um, it, it works your legs, but it saves them. It doesn't really crush those insertion points, especially the hamstrings. So you can mm-hmm. still drive a little power on a quality day. I like that. I would say the the other takeaway then, the thing that I need to improve upon, um, and we're kind of getting to a point here. We're trying to help guide you guys through maybe dissecting your own training and and what you need Mm -hmm. to get out of it. But this is more of a free-flowing conversation today as we planned, right, Bracken? Yeah. Yeah. But um, is that I've completely lost touch with my speed since San San Luis Obispo. I haven't done one workout on flat fast. And so funny that you say that, but the opposite side of the coin for me is I got a speed session plan for tomorrow where I just need to get some turnover. I feel very inefficient running flat and fast, which is, I was very in touch with earlier. And so I'm realizing I'm losing a little bit of that. And, uh, my, my grind capability is fine, right? I realize, okay, my durability is good, but if I lose one of the, the cards in my deck, which is a strong card for me, like that's just going to take away from my race potential. So I got to actually feed the, uh, the sharpening side a little bit. So I will be doing the opposite of you, which will be shorter, faster stuff to just get some more efficiency back in that front. Yeah. Now I felt that a bit, but it's funny that we're coming towards two different style of races to some extent, but you still can't let speed work go because you want it to actually be fast and efficient on flats. And I want it so that I can use a lower percentage of myself to stay calm and cool and slow and efficient on grindy stuff. You need it 
for two different reasons. And so, yeah, yeah mine's going to be three to five minute hill reps hard and yours is going to be two to three minute flat stuff hard, but it's yeah. going to accomplish two different missions with the same style of work. That's funny. Mm-hmm. Maybe not funny. Ha ha. It's noteworthy. Noteworthy. Yeah, but it's like, uh, you know, the name of the game, if you're a high rocks athlete, if you're a Spartan athlete, you're a trail athlete. I mean, I really think even in a two hour race in which I did less, you know, just over a week ago, like the, the name of the game is durability, man. And you want to talk about a durability event, high rocks, unless you're, you know, top of sport and you're running this thing in an hour or under most of you are out there for an hour 15 to hour 45. If you're running high rocks, it's durability. How many punches can you take without falling down before, before your ability to, to access your fitness disappears? And it's just like, I just was reminded of that. That's the most thing is like durability. What percentage can I keep? of my true potential, whether I'm feeling great or feeling shitty. And, um, for me, I feel like that arrow is in my quiver as in I've worked that enough and I can just maintain it, but I need to sprinkle in a little bit more spice. And yours was maybe I'm going to build durability is what I'm sort of understanding. So we both did the exact same thing, but got different things out of it. And that's such a key point is that it doesn't matter how sharp your fitness is if you get too beat up to use it. So after we did this, after our workout, the next day there was another UFC fight on. And there were some some big boxing bouts as well. But watching this, it was crazy to watch a fighter go through exactly what I went through, but from a totally different angle. Where by the end of it, my legs had just taken a beating. And as a result, I couldn't run the downhill at the end. I couldn't work the downhill. Even if I might have had fitness, I could still talk. Even on our very last climb, I just kept, I felt like it, it wouldn't even sound real how tired I was. Cause I was talking in a normal calm voice and I wasn't gasping. I was just out of energy. And yet I, I, I probably sounded, Oh, he's fine. He, he, his heart rate's probably super low, which it was. I just couldn't do anything. Cause my legs had just been beat to death yep. and watching fighters go through it. They take a few body shots and a few leg kicks and suddenly their hands slow down. Suddenly, they're not able to to use any explosion anymore. They take a couple of solid leg kicks, and they can't move uh, laterally anymore. Or they take some body shots, and now they can't put any sting on their punches. In reality, it hasn't changed their skill set. It hasn't changed the amount of fitness they brought in. But they've just been damaged to the point where they can't use what they have anymore. And that's where I got to in that that workout. And that's where everyone gets to in a race. Watch it in the marathon again, watching Boston this morning. There were some really good runners who are running 20 to 30 seconds slower than any of their training workouts by the end of this race because their legs were just too beat. And so bulletproofing yourself to the point where taking those beatings doesn't reduce your effectiveness is just such a key attribute of running. Again, unless you're like you talk about at the very high end and you're moving so fast that you're just not out there taking the pounding that the rest of us mere mortals take. Yeah. So what I think we should do right now then um, by the way, I tuned into the Boston Marathon just in time and I dro- watched the leader drop a 427 at mile, what was it, 23, 22? I was like, and that, my goodness. It's just, it's just, so, 5K to go. <laughs> it's just so humanizing to watch him run a 427 with yeah three miles to go. My goodness. There's levels to everything, isn't there? Oh, yes, yes, there are. <laughs> now, we had a little chat going between me, you, uh, Rich and Jack, we'll keep you tuned on what's coming there. But uh, he had said that Nell Rojas had passed Molly Seidel. Where did Nell Rojas finish? I didn't look up the results yet. She moved up. I think she took 10th overall first American with a PR. At Boston. That's fantastic. At Boston. Wow. It's funny. We all we feel like we have a special connection to Nell Rojas because she ran like three OCR races. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and we've really hung on to that, haven't we? But I like it. So this is what I think we should do so we can help some people out today because, you know, we're talking about ourselves and, and we're we're at a crossroads here, folks. I do have one more thing I want to say, though, before you get into this big. Do you know do you know where I'm going? Do you know? Where I I'm don't. Going? But based off durability, my final takeaway from this is that I'm not ready for a minimal shoe for eight hours. Yeah. Which you were thinking maybe was viable. Yes. And it still might be viable a month from now five weeks from now, but right now it's not. And so I went home and I double checked my speed goats that I have to make sure that I have a pair with new enough tread because by the end of that, putting a speed goat on my, on my foot, I probably could have run down that final 
two and a half mile pavement descent. I could not in the extreme twos. Yep. That's not what the extreme twos are made for, which is carrying someone downhill once their legs are trashed on pavement. <laughs> Correct. But the last three plus K of this race in Ireland is pavement slightly downhill. And there's a couple hard pack sections throughout the race. By the end of that workout, I was so trashed. I was thinking I would give up all my traction for a little bit of protection right now. Listen, I ran a 9.062 mile in the speed goats, Bracken. Those things are built for speed <laughs> on the roads. <laughs> so that still is it. wild. In the speed goats. I got Do you think that's the fastest two mile run in the world in a pair of speed goats? Do you think? Even though it was downhill, do you think I have some weird record there? I think you have to. Yeah. Because who wears speed goats for a road workout other than someone who's traveling and forgot any sort of road shoe? <laughs> Me. <laughs> and then who rips a downhill two mile during a workout while wearing the speed goat? It's just, it doesn't, it's such a. That's a niche Guinness Book of World Record thing I should, you know, look into. I think you should contact Hoka and and you should probably contact Carl himself and tell him, hey, I ran a 906 in your shoes. <laughs> let's let's. Can I get my own colorway or something? Let's collab. What would you, if you had to design your own speed goat, what color would it be? How would it look? I assume red. I do enjoy a red. Mine would be, mine would be, a, yeah, it'd be a red or it'd be a, a bright greenish. It'd be some green to it. But those are very, they won't go well together. So I'd have to think on that. But I do like a red. Something with red just works. And they don't get too dirty too fast. They feel fast in red. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe a red, a version of a red, but like a, a, a bread, like a, a bread that you see and you're like, damn, that's a, that's red. That's candy apple red. Something like that. That's a, that's a 906 two mile red. Yeah, it is. What about you? I don't know. For trail shoes, I truly do like orange. I think it wears well. I have an orange pair above my mm-hmm. shoulder that you guys can't see, but my old Innovates were orange. These are orange. I think orange wears well in dirt. It just gives it more of like a a burnt look after a while, but I also really like black shoes with white bottom. Oh, you do? I dislike yeah. that heavily. Do you? I feel like dads wear them, but you are a dad. <laughs> I'm a dad. <laughs> I mean, these Skechers here, black with that silver bottom. The Jordan Retro 11s that I grew up idolizing, the, that mm-hmm. was the way that they looked. I, I like a dark upper with a, a white or gray bottom for some reason. I think that is the slowest looking shoe on the market for some reason. <laughs> Maybe it's perfect <laughs> for me right now. Then. <laughs> All right. So I derailed your your so now what talk. So take us now what. Let's try to teach the people something, huh? Um, so... What I'm getting at here is we're coming at two sides of the coin in a sense. We did the same workout. We sort of have two takeaways that are kind of very different. Um, and I'm at a little bit of a crossroads with my season, and we haven't hashed this out. And I don't know if we will on the podcast or now, which is do I pursue the U.S. National Mountain Altitude Elevation Series or do I race other races that just excite me more and forget about the series? But regardless of that decision, which I'm going to have to make, Race, a race that I care about is coming up in about four to five weeks regardless, whether it's Big Bear or it is something else local. Mm-hmm. Basically, same training principles are going to apply to have me be successful at either. Now, for you, you have a race in roughly five weeks, I think it is. <clears throat> so we have the same timeline. We're about, let's just say, the four to six week window. And we have two very different things that we kind of wanted to take away. Yours is like, how do I increase my durability in four to six weeks? And mine is, okay, how do I keep my durability but increase my top end potential in four to six weeks, right? So then it comes down to how do we break that down? Like it's very possible, by the way. And so we have just enough time to move the needle on the things we want to. So we're in a good position right now to learn those things. Mm -hmm. So I think we should just like, you know, give 10 minutes to dissect what you think your approach should be. On the durability front, I know we started to talk about it already, and then we should take 10 minutes and dissect you know, what we'd recommend on my end, which would be maybe my state power is good, but let's sharpen or let's, you know, improve power, so to speak. So how do you feel about that? I like it a lot. I think that a lot of people get to this point. I'm about a month out, Yep. four to six weeks out. I either have to change my fitness, change my durability or not screw up what I have going right now. What do I do leading in? Because it's easy to script out a 12 week build. It's hard to say, okay, I've, I've built, how do I get my final four to six weeks lined up? 
And we're both in that spot right now. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, everybody is four to six weeks out from something at some point. Yeah. yeah. So so let's let's do the appropriate thing and start with me. Cool with that. So. I would expect nothing other. Well, what I have found with myself, now I'm a bit of a responder. I think you are too. We've talked about this. Yeah. In the past, when I do big builds, I generally reap the majority of my rewards by week seven. If I build and I hit sequential workouts, by the time I get to seven, I am super confident and I'm feeling fit. And it's it, it doesn't matter the distance I'm prepping for. Building for Tennessee Mile at week seven or eight, I ran a maybe, yeah, eight, I ran a stadium race and felt pretty darn good. Building for a 50K, I ran a one mile race. Building for a Spartan race, I ran a 5K race. And I hit close to PRs or just good performances all the way around. So I know I can do those things. Building for an ultra seven weeks in, I ran my best hill workout I've ever ran. So within seven weeks, I get most of my fitness from a block of training, which means in four to six, I can simply do that same kind of block and maybe take out the extraneous work, compact a little bit more and get most of what I'm going to need out of it. So I am five weeks till race day. I am four weeks until high rocks race day. So I have to cut my build a little short. So I'm ready for high rocks, but I basically have three and a half weeks of work. I've already put in some work, so I kind of just take my last six weeks of training and compress it into three and a half and treat it as a training camp. I'm going to overload. I'm going to swing pretty big, and I'm going to shorten the time between swings and mitigate that with backing off other places so I arrive healthy but having absorbed all the work I would need to absorb. And it's about the only time ever where I advocate maybe removing rest sometimes or or putting workouts too close together because i'm on a compressed timeline and i need to get my durability up yeah you're in a unique situation with having a hour long in and out of anaerobic effort the week before a six plus hour ultra that's not necessarily recommended but it can set up very well to do like a we'll call in short and air quotes because an hour long race is not short but comparatively to your ultra it's short Mm -hmm. There's a lot of power to, to to your point of of racing or testing something short and super stingy a week before something long and grindy because the perceived effort of pain is going to be so much more tolerable in your ultra. But the tricky part for you is you need to build that durability in the next two weeks, three weeks, two weeks, so you can actually be ready to go smash a world record at High Rocks and then go and then go run an ultra. So you're right. Mm-hmm. The stimulus of overloading and doing things like 80, 80, 20 might be out the window for the next two weeks because it you, is. Need to, you need to cram and then you need to deload and soak it all up. And so, um, the name of the game sounds like damage to you. Yeah, it's damage, but with purpose. So I need some anaerobic work in there. It has to happen for a couple of reasons. One, because they are going to be anaerobic portions of the ultra, but there is going to be a whole lot of anaerobic for the high rocks doubles championship in Vegas. Mm -hmm. Second of all, the places that give out on me and most people in ultras are insertion points, middle of hamstring, uh, rear chain. All that is really worked well by working hard. So it is durability work to do some actual anaerobic intense work. But for me, I have to do that up and downhill because that's the only way to get all my work in to a compressed time frame is to do them simultaneously. So if I need speed work and I need durability, I need to run hard up the hill because that's only going to help my climbing. And then I need to rip descents to work on my turnover and durability and also my downhill durability at the same time. So that's one time per week. I have to rip up and downhill for the next three weeks. Do you know before San Luis Obispo, which was relatively flat, which was a U.S. National Series race about a month ago-ish, all of my compromise work was done at 15% for a flat race? Because what's harder than blowing up the legs and then having to run uphill? Not much. Sprinkle in the appropriate speed work, which I did on the weekends intermixed in my long runs, Mm -hmm. and I had both sides of the coin. And so for you to do something like that, which is compromised uphill work, um, I think can translate perfectly well to flat speed work 
because it's again it's about strength and durability and you sprinkle in that those you're going to do a few flat fast workouts of course i assume at some point maybe one or two little things right mm-hmm. so i very much approve of that very much approve two birds one stone actually works in this case i think yeah so then my second cuz i'm a two quality workout a week guy that's that's my mo that's my sustainability I'm full on three a week right now. It's the only way. It's the only way I can get this work in. So the second one has to also be a two birds, one stone workout, which is a high rocks climbing workout for me. So take whatever my standard high rocks workout would be. KDE is a good one. Two minutes of high rocks work into five minutes of high end aerobic or low end threshold work. Two minute rest, repeat. Love that workout. Same kind of thing. But now my five minutes has to be uphill. And so that's a portion of, of what I did the day before our workout was I was doing 200 foot vert intervals in between sled pushes, sled pulls, lunges. And what's more ultra mountain specific than pushing a, a heavy sled? I mean, that's power hiking, doing burpee broad jumps. That's rock scrambling, doing weighted lunges. That's power hiking. So prioritizing the movements that are going to carry over into one workout and then climbing in between those those movements that's very sports specific for both of my upcoming races turn that into a 70 to 90 minute session and it's again two birds one stone but that one is so so force reducing running uphill at 20 percent you don't take any pounding walking lunges you don't take pounding sled pull push you don't take any pounding burpee broad jump is the only way to even hit the ground and even that's not pounding. So mm-hmm. it's a third quality session, but it's not a dangerous one. But all of them sound like you're just built. I mean, durability is infused in all of these. I don't sound nothing where nothing where you get to go out and be like super flashy. You're not going to be put on your alpha flies and go out and rip up <laughs> something or put on your sketchers razors and go run real, real fast. It's like, hey, this is the stuff that really boils down to. And so sounds like everything you're doing is going to be done in some sort of like pre-fatigued state mm-hmm. so that when you lighten the stimulus, like that, I mean, like I said, you're just echoing sort of how I'm realizing my durability is good by my uh, training philosophy currently. And, and man, I don't know. I agree with it. Everything you're doing, you're going to do tired until you're not. Yeah. And then the third session that week is a long hill rep day. Time on feet, minimum two and a half hours. Let my just like how I did for Tennessee, go out. I have to do two and a half, and I stop when my body says, "Listen, you're approaching the time where you can get a lower leg tweak." You stop before that, but not before that. So, how far out? So, if if high rocks is in four weeks mm-hmm. from this conversation, roughly just under, right? Um, how long out are you going to pull that stimulus from that race specifically? Meaning, like. You're going to do your last long run how far out. You're going to go from three workouts to two maybe how far out. Reduce volume. Yeah. How long? How far out are we doing this? Because for me, I need more time than most people do, I feel like, once I decide to. So what is yours? That's the balancing act. Mm-hmm. So last weekend was four weeks out from that. This past weekend. So we just did three hours. This weekend, I'm going to do the exact same thing. Another big week, another big, long, hopefully three to three and a half hours on the hill. Next weekend is my finish blowing or the weekend after that is finish blowing out the tube. So it's a three week training camp, which is kind of starting to push the boundaries a little bit. So then that'll be two weeks out from high rocks. That's the last multi-hour, you know, bang session where I just bang my legs. Two weeks out from high rocks? Two weeks out from high rocks, three from, from Ireland. May I ask you what race you care? May I ask what you race you care about more? I I can't split between the two. High rocks matters more. Ireland's more imperative to get right. High rocks means something because I'm with Cali and we're going after a title. But if I get my training slightly wrong, it doesn't change the fact that we'll be fine. Right. If I come up short in Ireland, I'm going to die for two or three hours. And that sounds horrible. Mm-hmm. So one week out, then I start ramping down the duration of my long run. So I have three straight weeks of big, brutal, beat me up long weekends. The fourth week which is one week before high rocks, it's going to be a skill-based hill workout where I'm going to do a couple fast descents, a couple fast ascents, 
but it's going to be probably 40 to 60 minutes total of work and that's it. So it's the two weeks before I trash myself, one week before I just keep the skill sharp and then race high rocks. So in your position, I would do the exact same thing. I Over time, I have found that if you're really going to go big and smash yourself, I think three weeks out from your long, big effort is the, mm-hmm. the closest you should cut your last long, big effort. I've done it two weeks out, and I just realized like it's too close, for me anyways. And then you slowly decrease your duration in and increase your intensity for those subsequent three weeks. Now, you're going to do one last blowout two weeks out from high rocks, but three weeks out from your... Your yeah. ultra. So I, uh, not that you need my approval, but I, I see it. It's just, my worry would be how are the legs going to feel in high rocks? Are they going to, are they going to come around? Right. Well, and that, that is determined by how well I do these three weeks. If I keep hitting all my lunge work and my sled work, then I, and, and I'm overloading those, then I can get through high rocks because I get rests. Cali works. I work. Cali works. I work. But what I found is that I need three weeks to go from big nasty hills to hills i can get away with two if i'm going from big nasty hills to flats Hmm. where i really hurt on the descents if i only have two weeks of recovery that's how uh tahoe was that year i did killington Killington, two weeks before it in my very first descent felt like i had just finished killington i was climbing okay not great but i was climbing fine i carried fine my flats were actually decent i just could not run downhill and I've had a good one year after Killington World Championships. The next week, I, I won a big OCR race, but it was flattish. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. So I just can't go steep two weeks out. So that's what I'm banking on is having my – I mean, the things that you blow up on in high rocks are generally sleds, lunges, and wall balls. Mm-hmm. Burpee broad jumps for some people, but the sleds we can't blow up on because we're trading work. The lunges are really the – the danger zone. So as long as I have my lunges ready to go there, I'll be fine. Okay. I like it. That's the big overview. So that's my plan. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change much. I would just be, I would be a flex on that last long run, depending on how I'm feeling as far as how yeah. long I go. But other than that, I, I couldn't agree more. And the reality is whether I go two and a half that day or three and a half, it doesn't change my fitness for Ireland. So I need to choose the one that leaves me not in shambles. It's almost, it's more the accumulation of the three weeks leading up to it than that one workout. No. And, and then I have a few finishers in there. My PM sessions of, 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 uh, skierg and row intervals, it adds some spice in there and it makes sure that I can work those stations pretty well. If this all comes together, right, Bracken, you should have a, a, probably some of the most balanced fitness you've haven't had in a long time. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing is that I still have remnants of my other training blocks in me. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not as sharp as I've ever been right now, but like our hill workout wasn't terrible on Friday. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't a embarrassment. The last hour felt like it, but I, I still have a lot of the training I've done. So I'm not starting from scratch and that's super helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And you still went to what? 245, two hours, 50. No, I did. A, I did 302. It went full three. Oh, I, I didn't get back long after you then. About 10 minutes, I think, okay. because I'm, I, I had that watch pause for a while. Oh uh, yeah. So my, my finish time was two fifty five, but my elapsed time was three oh two. Oh yeah. The dreaded stop your watch to pee, forget to start it when you continue that whole deal. That's right. Yeah. Yep. I did that too. Okay. So we've walked through mine. Yep. Walk me through how you're going to approach prioritizing your last month of training. Yeah. Um well in my situation, just to summarize, like I feel durable, but I feel like I've lost touch with a little bit of speed or power. Um, which makes sense because I haven't fed it for the last month. I basically grinded. Um, and so, you know, by any means, like, am, am I still fast-ish? Probably, right? I could probably go out and do something. But I, I feel like I've got 5% there that I lost. And 5% is a lot. So, um, Well, let's let's quantify that. We had talked before the workout trying to gauge where our fitness lay with each other. And I said, I think right now I could run about 1640 in a 5K. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe if I was in a race solo on a on a cross country course, sixteen forty. If I hopped on the track, probably sixteen. Yeah. Twenty five. What could you do right now? What did you tell me? Fifteen forty five. Fifteen forty five. So you're fast in general, but what do you feel like you're going? to But I to think need? if I went out and ran a mile right now, I'd be lucky to run like four forty. 
445 maybe because I just really? that top yeah I don't know it's all a guess right I don't know I have no clue the last workout of any speed I did was five six weeks ago so point being is um again this is just my personal philosophy I'm not telling you listening to do this but I can afford one more weekend of durability meaning I can afford one more weekend of going out and getting time on feet what I'm deciding between is doing big bear which is a about an hour to hour 15 long super in the mountains or running maybe potentially an ultra in five weeks and so to be safe um, I am going to get in another long run this weekend and just get time in on feet, but I'm going to push the downhills. I'm going to go and rip on those and create some mm-hmm. damage. One last time of damage, which will be three weeks out from big bear, maybe four weeks out from a potentially different race. So, um, which so to be say- clear, that's my weekend. We just did three grindy mm-hmm. this weekend. I'm going to do two and a half to three, but I've got to rip the downs. Okay. See great minds, man. <sighs> so. So I'm going to afford my, I'm going to sprinkle some speed in this week just to remind myself it's there, but then I'm going to counter that with another long grindy session just to make sure, uh, I just peace of mind have that, that card in my deck. And then it is a no long run. The next two subsequent training weekends, they're going to have quality in both of them, meaning I'm going to cut it to two hours or less, maybe even 90 minutes. And I am going to hit something that matters, whether it's involving vert or it's involving flat speed, I'm going to cut my long run in half. Two hours tops, two weeks out, 90 minutes tops, a week's out. And they're all going to involve something that it forces me to even get anaerobic at times, I think. I'm going to force that, like, oh, my legs are going to give out feeling, or I'm, I'm breaching my lactate threshold heavily. Um, and I'm always going to err on the side of shorter duration uh, as far as interval length or session versus longer. Um, and I'm actually going to give myself a little more rest on some of these sessions probably in the last week or two leading in. Um, just so I can get some efficiency back. So for me, um, I'll hit last big stimulus three weeks out and then it's, I don't give a crap. I could run 15 miles a week the next three weeks and still go and perform as to my potential. If I did it right, the body remembers. And so I just have to remind myself of that. And so very simply put, and I can split hairs, you know, along the way, it's going to be a significant decrease in overall time on feet, especially on the weekend. Um, and making sure I keep it short and spicy. Cause I think my, my durability is good. Um, I know that's kind of, it's blanket statementy, but it's also, you know, the umbrella of what I'll be doing. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get a little more specific. So you said you're about 1540 shape right now. You've lost 5% or so. What does that look like? What, what 5k shape would you want to be in on race day? Well, I don't really care about that right now because just comparatively, I want to, I want to know for, Oh, I think like even five seconds a mile. Like, I feel like I, I feel like if I get my you know, my stuff, right. I think that 1530 is well within reason or under like breaking that. Um, but I couldn't do without specific work. So what is that going to look like specific work? And I have a potentially a marathon that I'm entertaining doing in June. Like I have all these things that I'm like, what do I want to do? But what, what does that specific work look like? Yeah. So you're going to, you're going to have your volume. You're going to add in intensity to be ready for a 70 minute race in the mountains or potentially a 50k on technical trails what does speed work mean in those situations yeah good question so um uphill speed work will have to be in there so i've been doing long grindy stuff meaning like i'm getting on there and doing stuff where my heart rate's getting up and i'm kind of staying there but i'm not allowed to use any flash meaning i'm not really going for it not using a powerful stride uphill i'm using like a maintenance stride a threshold stride which is okay that's what racing is Um, But I'm going to breach that, meaning shorter, fast stuff, you know, 300, 200, 100 foot gain intervals, um, things that are going to make me force force some power output, I think, is what I'm getting at. Um, Because I'll trust, again, the stay power will stay there. Uh, Over the weekends, I may intermix um, things like five, two intervals into my long run. And whether I'm going up or downhill, I'm ripping, for example. I'll I'll plan maybe each interval to have a little bit of both in it. maybe some uphill surge work where I'm surging for 60 seconds, laying off the throttle for 60, but not fully laying off the throttle power hiking on purpose. Cause big bear is coming up and power hiking is involved. Um, versus I'll probably plan a ladder, uh, threshold workout, which might be like a 10, eight, six, four, two, uh, but staying kind of your bread and butter threshold workout. I love those workouts staying, but staying on it enough in the recovery periods, mm-hmm. um, things like that. Uh, you know, quality makes up for lack of duration and and people often forget that you don't necessarily need to combine them both and your body's going to keep it's like aerobic potential for way longer. So 
So that's and then um, you know my calves are sore as shit bracken from uh, our, my right one in particular, and I don't know why. And my rear chain went on me quicker when we power hiked than I thought. I don't know if you remember me. Um, yeah talking like oh man my rear chain is just gone so on my thursday vert skill days i'm going to purposely be power hiking um at 40 percent instead of and 30 percent instead of running at times just to bulletproof that and balance everything out um so i feel like i'll be able to pivot however i want but the point being overall theme is i'm going to reduce volume particularly on the long run not necessarily on other stuff throughout the week mm-hmm. um like two weeks out but on the long run in particular which is where i take the most damage i don't know about you um, that's it. And just, uh, relying on, uh, just getting a little bit more, um, explosive is, is kind of my, my hope. So, yeah. um, but shortening the interval duration, shortening the overall volume, especially on the long run, that's that simple last big effort three weeks out as far as duration. And then, uh, slowly dial it back choosing a cross training day on a run day. If I feel like my body could use it, um, just erring on the side of less or shorter. That's basically the gist of it. I like it a lot. Yeah. I'm not sure why your calf is one one's more sore than the other, but no idea. It brought me back to descending behind you on the last couple of descents, watching you. Uh-huh. You post hold hard on the last descent, and I think it was the same leg both times. Suddenly, you were shin to knee deep, and we were running sub five pace at thirty five percent decline. Uh-huh. You stayed upright both times. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. one of those falling while running where arms are pinwheeling face looks like it's about four inches off the ground but you're still getting your feet underneath you so it was an impressive save it was it was a feat of athleticism you don't usually get to watch athleticism <laughs> during a <laughs> during a distance run but i don't know if, if if that post hole had some like jarring impact that that got you it was my right leg both times now that i think about it i didn't even think about that till you just said that and i almost ate it that second one really pretty bad um my left calf is the one that normally gets tight on me. I have all my issues on my left side. So good observation. Maybe I can wrap my head around this one now. We had some near misses. There is one a descent where I told you, oh, I lost control. I lost it. And I had to just go skittering past because I was at that point where if I slowed down anymore, I was going down. We hit one little icy patch and you were committed. You just had to keep your legs moving fast. Otherwise, you were going down really really hard and you had to veer to the left if i recall it was like a left veer cut your losses yeah you moved quick it it was that or go down sometimes those descents you just have to ride it out until it becomes controllable Mm -hmm. that was fun that that was probably let's say a top five all-time hill workout for me i enjoyed it me too the terrain the the weather was wild it was really bright and sunny but only it was below freezing i think Mm -hmm. right at freezing high winds yeah, the epic snow. Company. We were on our hands. We were on our hands and knees at times climbing up that hill, getting animalistic. Very few times in my life has that happened, having to actually get down on all fours to get up something. Yeah, me too. I don't even. I think one other time, and it was actually no. I was screeing out in uh, out in like the Banff for and some some slick stuff there. But then the other only other time was at this ski hill when there was still snow on it two years ago on my own because it's it's so steep on top. It's probably beyond 40%, which sounds dramatic, but I bet you that last little blip is... Closer to 50. 50. It's just aggressive. So um, so bringing this full circle then, man, um, if you're looking at racing, a lot of you guys are doing the U.S. National Series. You have stuff coming up. I think it's just like, you know, a good point that four to six week mark when you're out from a race that matters, like do a little bit of like investigation or like microanalyzing of what needs to be done. And you're in a really good time frame to pivot or adjust or tweak where you're at. And I'm guessing a quarter, you are going to big bear and you probably think there's some chinks in your armor. We all have them. Um, and now is kind of the, the time where you still have just enough time to make a difference. So like mm-hmm. jump on it. And if that means pivoting, like you pivot it, you're pivoting slightly, I think with your formula, right? Yep. It's okay to do that. Yeah, sometimes overreaching is smart if you plan it. And mm-hmm. that, what we didn't talk about with mine is how I'm balancing my overreaching, which, where you said you're not dropping your daily volume, you're just going to drop your long run. I'm lengthening my long run, and I'm stacking my quality, so I'm actually cutting my daily volume on my in-between days because it just doesn't serve a purpose. Yep. 
So I'm, I'm moving to hiking on any day I need to re- for recovery. Last week I didn't do this. Last week I went out and tried to get 60 to 80 minutes on trails or, or flat ground in between all my quality or long work. And I was really toast by the end of the week. I had a run where I actually stopped and walked the last mile back to the car because I thought I'm either going to just destroy myself or I'm actually going to get hurt. I'm just going to walk this in. I'm so, so tired. And I, I probably single, single digit times in my life have I walked in a recovery or easy run. Look how smart you're getting in your old age. <sighs> that or scared. <laughs> I'm scared. I'm doing the same thing. I'm choosing I – I jumped ship on a quality workout on Wednesday because the fatigue was so obvious still for my race. It was like Old Kirk would have just plowed through and ended up with some bullshit overuse injury or just so burnt that it just bled into the next weeks. And I was like, I'm not going to change the world today. And I just pulled mm-hmm. the plug and and pivoted. And it's just it's – just, it's smart. Yeah. I was on pace for nine hours of running that week, nine and a half. And – I old me would have said, if I can continue it, I can hit 10 actually. And new me said, I'm going to ruin the previous six. If I can't run next week, like I won't get anything out of it. So save it only hit eight and a half for the week instead of nine and a half, but I can then live and fight again the next week and the next week. So sometimes you just gotta, you gotta age a little bit. You do Uh, pay now or pay later. Always pay now. Um, so let's wrap this thing up. Last question then is now that you've run in a more minimalist, not minimalist, lighter racy shoe this weekend, mm-hmm. I know you don't have all the info and data you need, but you got to pick a shoe for your, you know, seven potential plus hour ultra. As of today, what shoe are you racing in? Speed goat. Now it's the speed goat. Yeah. I'm still going to bring a minimum of two along. I'm going to bring the speed goat, but if it rains, if it rains all week, if it's a mess, then I'm still going to go VJ because at some point, like cushioning doesn't even matter if it's so mushy. Yep. But if it's not a premium on traction, as of right now today, it's Speed Goat. I messaged a guy. I was watching some race videos, and the guy who took second a couple of years ago had the Speed Goat on. Mm-hmm. And so I reached out on Instagram. I said, it, it, would you still recommend that? Would you do it again? He said, if it's dry, yeah, you can get away with the Speed Goat. But they've got to be newer ones because the Speed Goat rubber does wear, and it gets a little rounded off after yep. a while. Yep. He said, otherwise, he's going to switch to something different this year but because last year the race was in august so it was a little drier this year it's in may there's potential for that irish spring weather to be just nasty oh yeah see the speed goat's got such a high stack height that like i feel like once i get you know 50 miles into it my foot sinks into the footbed a little and i feel like i sit a little lower so it becomes more stable so it's like probably a fine balance i would have to walk between how new are my speed goats to get that perfect fit do you know what i'm saying there a little bit yeah. Well, I've got a pair that I wore three times and then wore for the last three hours in Tennessee. Beautiful. So it probably only has five and a half or six hours of running on the shoe. That. But it took three hours of descending. So it's actually already molded to my foot, but the the, the tread's relatively new. So I'm just going to keep those puppies ready. Oh. And I already have the, the lace lock in those, which f- the longer the race goes, the more I demand that that's on my shoe. Okay. Because as things get, like, like we felt out on the course, when things get wet after a few hours, the upper stretches, descents, you start to move around, being able to just reach down and zip, zip, and now you're tight again. And it only takes two seconds and you can do it while power hiking. To me, that's a, that's a valuable thing yeah. to have to stop and spend 30 seconds to retie a shoe. And then your fingers start getting fumbly. And if it's cold or wet, it's just not worth it. So all ultras I do, I have some sort of lace lock system in there so I can right, yeah. constantly adjust things or loosen it on the up and then tighten it right before a crazy descent. Yeah. Never experimented with them, but I trust you there. Just in the last year and a half, I've started doing that. Yeah. I was using the, uh, Caterpie laces. Yeah. And I really like those for short races, but it's not as easy to loosen the shoe where with the lace lock, you can loosen if your feet swell or if you've accidentally cranked too tight. Sometimes I get that outside of my foot, like fifth metatarsal pain if something's too Too tight. tight. So I can loosen that up if that starts to bark at me. All right. All right. Shout that out in case people have the similar issue they run into. All right. Um, All right. Well, it's time for me to go back to work. So... I guess that's nice. So I guess that's Gosh, it. That's a 
pre-workout burp come up. <laughs> I'll edit out the sound, but you you hitting you hitting it right now? Yeah, I'm gonna go lift right now. Then I have a meeting, and then I'm gonna get my run in right after the meeting. Nice. Like I said, lift before my run now every time. That's I, I that's the last thing I don't think I said is I'm still doing cardio on my lift days, and the lift will come first every time for the next four weeks, just to add to that yeah. tired running. Yeah, I've always done that. I like to just like how it, my body feels when I do that more. I don't, but I like how it feels when I stop doing that. Correct. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's what I meant. All right. Well, till we'll see you guys Friday, right? Maybe Friday this time we'll get one out racking. I think so. We've had weird weeks. Yeah, we've been busy. I was not editing a podcast after our hill workout Friday. No, sir, you were not. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you later this week. See you soon.